Take the usual podcast hosting companies and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the podcast of Matrix Hosting and you'll experience a completely different world of whole podcast library hosting. Choose wisely at podcastmatrix.com. That's podcastmatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. The Civil War. It wasn't just brother fighting brother. It was the showcase for the war on the future. A future where a man is utilizing a cursed object, a lantern, that utilizes aged photographic slides to re-enter the past, to claim Civil War relics, but there's a twist. Isn't there always a twist? To power the lantern's hellish powers, a kill must occur to open a portal back to the past, and another must happen in the past to provide a deadly drawbridge back to the future. It's dark. It's history-laden. It's got smart bad guys, and it's all... Part of the plan. That powers this episode of Friday the 13th. It's time for the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 2, Episode 13, Eye of Death. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. The Animal Academy Podcast. I don't know about you, Nick. You've you've, you've had animals before, haven't you? I have, off and on throughout my life, yeah. Dogs and cats, whatever? Dogs, cats, a couple of turtles, a few fish. Turtles? That sounds like an interesting story. Uh, Not really. Oh, okay. They're they're actually kind of boring. Well, box turtles don't really do all that much. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, uh, I've never had turtles. I've only ever had dogs and cats. And what I've always known and what is propelled inside of a brand new podcast that I'm helping to produce is that the animals very often are the ones that end up teaching us about a lot of things. Mm, Yeah, I I agree. If it's not about life, it's about your surroundings or about the things that you do in life in general. And that, again, is part of the Animal Academy podcast that is now available for you to listen to. Again, for anybody that's ever owned a pet, whether it's in that competitive vein of handling of animals Mm. or just having pets like Nick and I. Be sure to check out the Animal Academy podcast over at animalacademypodcast.com. The Zola Initiative. Now, this episode of Friday the 13th includes a bunch of Civil War reenactors. I would are... assume. I would assume. They, they, it would seem 
that they got a hold of all the Civil War reenactors that they could <laughs> yeah. to, to pull off this episode. Oh, without, without question. And what that is an indicator of is soldiers. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that we talked about an organization that I've recently come into contact with via another podcast called the Zola Initiative. And the Zola Initiative is providing options, planning, and the ability to talk to somebody for those of our American military that are coming back from serving their time in the military. And unfortunately, they often come back to an arena where there are very few options for them. Mm -hmm. It's difficult for them when they go from being in charge of multi-million dollar pieces of equipment and helping to manage large groups of troops to do X or operating in multi-mission days, and then they come back to kind of their old life. They don't have any of that, and they don't have any. They don't have anybody to talk to about it. Well, the Zola Initiative is offering all of that and more. And I want all of you to take just a moment out of your day to go check out the Zola Initiative. Again, you can find a link to it inside of the show notes for this episode, or you can access it directly via their website. It's thezolainitiative.com. It's an extraordinary organization that everyone should be taking time to learn more about and share with more of our returning American veterans. All right, enough housekeeping, Nick. It's time for the retell, our wonderful dip into what happened inside this episode so that those of you that have either never seen it or those that don't quite remember what happened 30 years ago and can't find it on any streaming services, oh, that's an act of sin, you will now be familiar with what's going on. It's time for the retell for this episode of Friday the 13th, Season 2, Episode 13, Eye of Death. Charge! A man in a uniform writes frantically in a Civil War setting. A message to Richard Jefferson Davis. It's 1862, where the man is lamenting his army's future demise. Things aren't going good. He signs his name to the document. It's General Robert E. Lee. A large group of Civil War reenactors are dodging explosions, and bodies are stacked up like cordwood as they are injured and often killed in battle. Then we go into the screaming medical tent, where body parts and the dead are being carted off. Screams of every kind showcase that war is hell. Lee's lieutenants are telling him how close to the end they are. The wounded have to be left now so that they can leave and live. A man in a dark hat and cloak arrives and promises strangely that everything will be fine. You see, the losses on the other side are as bad as Lee's. Lee instructs his men to stay and takes on another piece of information from the man in the dark hat and cloak. His name is Atticus. Atticus Rook. If this ain't the bad guy, I'll eat my hat, Mike. Later on, after more battles, Atticus steals more coins from one of the fallen soldiers' corpses. Across the courtyard, a young man is being tended to by his young wife, Abigail, and her father, You'll be all right soon as the doctor gets here. You just rest there. Everything will be all right. The doctor arrives. (gasps) It's Atticus Rook. The doctor quickly pockets the bullet-holed, personalized, flask-like canteen of the young man and reaches across and snaps the young man's neck. (laughs) The doctor runs as the young woman screams. (laughs) He's killed my husband. Soldiers run towards Atticus's silhouette that vanishes into a strangely lighted doorway. 
Then he reappears inside a modern day apartment where an antique slide is being shown through an ancient projector of some kind. It's a lantern! Atticus unloads the entire bag of real Civil War trinkets on the table and makes a call. I've just gotten another shipment of antiques. Mint condition. He references the flask-like canteen he's taken, and dollar signs appear across his eyes as he smiles menacingly. Flash to Jack, Mickey, and Ryan several days later as they review the new artifacts for an upcoming auction to be held. They're on the hunt for Atticus, who they believe has bought a cursed item from Uncle Lewis in the past. It's time for an auction! Fine antebellum and Civil War items up for sale! The first up, a flask-like personalized canteen with a big old bullet hole in it. The purchase price quickly rises to 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, $15,000! Sold! The night eventually ends, netting both Atticus and Edward the Auctioneer a massive pile of ill-gotten money. They begin wondering about the value of General Lee's broken sword. Perhaps the next item that will be collected in the past. Jack visits shortly with Atticus. Jack shares that he's recently taken over Uncle Lewis's antique store and wonders if Atticus has ever purchased anything from the store. He states that he hasn't. The keen deductory skills of Jack Marshak, man of action, tell otherwise. More research must be done. Jack dispatches Ryan to follow Atticus while he and Mickey head back to the Curious Goods store to do more research. Later that evening, Atticus is taking his date-slash-girlfriend to his house in a terrible neighborhood. It's creepy. It's his creepy kill-layer apartment, and he dons the dark hat and cloak once more. She wonders what's going on. It's time to look at slides. Via the lantern! A magic lantern! A cursed lantern! The lamp inside burns for three hours, and during that time we can travel through the image shown into the past. An ancient photo was seen. It's General Lee and its troops. The showcase of 22,000 men who die, where Atticus can then pick up untold volume of antiques to be picked up by a picker, a master picker, just like Atticus. It's time for Atticus and the lovely pretty to visit the past. But first... A little broken neck therapy for his date girlfriend whose death powers the most recent period of time travel. That's one way to fuel a flux capacitor, Mike. Ryan is outside and sees her body being loaded by Atticus into a dumpster. Ryan quickly follows Atticus into his apartment and <laughs> enters into the past with Atticus. Troops on horseback ride by, and Atticus disappears into the fog and fighting, leaving Ryan now apparently all alone in the past. As artillery rounds go off left and right, Ryan gets cold-cocked by Atticus and is left on a pile of dead Civil War reenactor bodies. Who knew time travel could be so strenuous? Back at the Curious Good Shop, Mickey and Jack are wondering where Ryan is, and both contemplate, what is the lantern? What if the lantern opened a path to the past, where Atticus then collects artifacts. Off they had to find a solution. Ryan awakens and is being tended to, back to the future style. His clothes and items are strange, and his caretakers, a young lady, ironically Abigail and her father, are curious. He is a Yankee! Ryan states that he's looking for a man dressed all in black, who happens to also be the man that killed Abigail's husband. Is Robert E. Lee nearby? 
He knows that Atticus is on his way to see Robert E. Lee. It's time to get Ryan some clothes to fit in. It's time to find Atticus in the past. Ryan is now walking around Sharpsburg. The clothes he wears are the lady's dead husband's. She also bequeaths Ryan her husband's gun and has high hopes that it will be used to kill the man who killed her husband. Ah, simple revenge story, really. In the current, the police are asking Mickey and Jack questions about a young lady's death as they enter into Atticus's apartment building. They've just found the body. In fact, here's the body. Do you recognize her? Of course they do, but they say nothing. Except, of course, to falsify their own IDs and say nothing about the dead girlfriend. Mickey and Jack investigate Atticus's apartment and find the lantern in operation. Looking at the slide, they see General Robert E. Lee and determine that the time, it's from 1862. They continue snooping and find nothing, except, of course, fresh blood. They don't understand the mechanics of the lantern, but Jack has a hunch. Jack approaches the wall and nothing happens. He can't get through. What a way to test out the scientific method, Mike. Jack and Mickey find history books, sources of knowledge that Atticus has been using to find his way back to untold riches in post-battle Civil War body-laden treasure troves. They also surmise that the burning candled lantern is Ryan's only way back as well. Back in 1862, Atticus is found by Abigail's father. Don't you move, you murdering son of a bitch! Atticus is working his tricks on the father and... Kills him! Another lit portal opens to the future, and Atticus runs towards it. He enters and arrives safe. Ryan inspects the body of the now-dead man and is seen, and then blamed for Abigail's father's death and hides in a tree and is able to avoid the posse now looking for him. But it's just a case of mistaken identity. Back inside the Curious Goods shop, Jack and Mickey are doing more research and putting the pieces together. They surmise that Atticus has to kill to both go back to the past and return to the future. This is confirmed by a photo of a Union spy that was found and then executed? It's Ryan! Oh lord, the time travel theories abound, but that's not important right now. Back in 1862, Lee is telling his lieutenants about Atticus's return. Apparently, Atticus has promised the general a map of the enemy emplacements. Hmm, something smells old and fishy. Inside Atticus's apartment, the same incompetent police officer finds that Atticus doesn't look like the previous Atticus and is invited inside to be strangled to death. Such a shame, Mike, because he was two days away from retirement. Atticus is killed once again, but finds his precious slide has been broken in the process. Considering his options, he calls Edward the auctioneer, knowing full well that he has one other slide dating back to 1862. He also wants to know how soon he could have the money for Lee's rare sword. In 1862, the worst has been confirmed. Ryan killed the young lady's father. Eh, but not really. He sneaks up on the young lady and shares with her that he's from the future. She doesn't believe it, but he shares a photo of his home. Will she believe him or blow a hole in the man that has killed her father? The photo shown to her? Money. A $5 bill with President Abraham Lincoln's face on it. 
Ryan shares more details of what's to come and how important it is to interrupt Atticus as he's going to steal General Lee's sword. To find Atticus, he's got to be close to General Lee. The plan? Ryan can be turned in as a Yankee spy. What could go wrong? Back in the here and now, Atticus visits with the auctioneer and states that he wants the money promised, now, as well as the slide of General Lee that the auctioneer has currently. Thanks for the slide. And in exchange, you die. As the portal to the past opens after the kill, Jack and Mickey arrive at Edward the Auctioneer's cozy bungalow. The portal shines brightly, and as Atticus jumps through, Mickey jumps onto his back, and she too... into the past! Poor Jack's left all behind. He never gets to travel through time. Time Warp 2. 1862. General Lee is having his photo taken as Ryan and the young lady present themselves. I've caught a Yankee spy. Listen to him. He's from the north. I caught him at the bridge going through corpses. Whoa. The photo that Mickey and Jack saw in the research books is snapped quickly. The future is becoming true. Elsewhere, Atticus and Mickey are presenting fisticuffs. Mickey gets bitch-slapped by Atticus and then runs off into the night. After recovering from her being bitch-slapped, Mickey steals a horse and mounts a stud of a different kind. Yeehaw! Back in General Lee's HQ, Ryan's being grilled and begins telling General Lee about Gettysburg, but can't remember much else, except, of course, that Atlanta is burning. What? In walks Atticus. Oh, look, a Yankee spy. Atticus hands General Lee the promised map of northern enemy emplacements. Ryan warns Lee about Atticus and his interest in his sword. You see, as a payment for the information-filled northern emplacement map, Atticus walks out of the barracks with Lee's sword. Abigail deftly follows Atticus to where Ryan is about to be executed. He is quickly rescued by Mickey on horseback. It's all terribly exciting. As Ryan and Mickey ride off into the dark, idiots not helping anybody, Abigail draws down on Atticus, who wrestles the gun free and shoots Abigail in the ten ring. After arriving back from their interesting, for no reason, amazing horse ride in the dark, Mickey and Ryan return to the gunshot lass, and she dies in Ryan's arms as she remembers her husband. I know. I will see him soon. Ryan wants to kill Atticus, but can't. Why? Because the portal to the future has been opened because of Abigail's death. He and Mickey dash to the door and jump through. After arriving back safely, Jack quickly tries to blow out the candle inside the lantern. As he does so, he ends up entrapping Atticus partially in the present, partially in the past, but mostly inside the wall. Great Scott! Later on, the three ponder what would have happened if Atticus had not actually interfered, but it was all supposed to turn out the way it all unfolded. The recovered sword of General Lee? Well, obviously, since the original was broken in defiance by Lee in the past, this one is obviously a fake. The cursed lantern, bathed in blood and history, is now recovered! Every episode of Friday the 13th has goods and bads. Let's focus on the good. Civil War stuff. Setting the stage for war. This was great. 
this of many things inside of this episode was wonderful because once again, not only have they created an effective background for everything that is time travel to the past, right? They have instantly made something convincing where they can put the actors in front of any single scene shot with a camera anywhere and it all works wonderfully. Right. And I know that we, we poke fun and, and say that it's civil war reenactors, but I would actually think that it probably would be a smart idea to hire civil war reenactors very, to be a part of that. Yeah. Very often inside of things like this, they use civil war reenactors yeah. because the, uh, if, if you think Star Trek fans love to have <laughs> costumes that are spot on and as seen on the camera, period accurate, right? Dude, yeah. these folks oh, yeah. are yeah. beyond amazing when they make their stuff and the actual looks of it. Yeah. The attention to detail inside of their, their ranks is literally legend. Well, this and is so a, getting them is a giant win for anybody. Oh hell yeah! Because this this is one of those episodes where we spend a lot of time with the setup. Mm-hmm. We were mm-hmm. we you know the episode starts in 1862 and we're there a good six minutes mm-hmm. getting the feel of the battlefield. We're we're taking where we see the sawbones where the doctors are cutting off limbs, and even though there's not a lot of gore. It still sets the mood of holy it, shit. This is a this is a battlefield. Yeah. These these guys are dying. There's a couple of screams that are reutilized inside mm-hmm. of this, but it, again, it's it's terribly representative of a terrible time in American history, but one that has so much impact. It's really really pulled off well here and sets the stage literally for where we're going back to, but then also what we come back to. Yeah, and and the smart thing that they did was all of this takes place at night. Yeah. So all of it's shot at night, so you're able to actually hide a lot of the... Crimes. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. Pace and prestige of the item. Uh, Two things here. The pace of this episode was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've talked about it so often, I don't know that we need to bloviate about pace. You get pace, you can pretty much score the episode as an average or above instantly. Yeah. Uh, pace is super, super vital to just about anything living. Uh, the, the second thing is the prestige of the item. I love the majesty of pondering an old lantern that you could put slides in that showcase these old kick-ass slides from mm. ancient times past. I love that. And that it is the item inside of this makes it, it has that mystique. And it's the mystique that I love about the concept of antique cursed items. It's, right, it's perfect. Right. Yeah. This it's absolutely is, perfect. This is also one of those cases where it's not overly complicated. Right. Right. You know, we have a simple item and the curse involved is simple as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, the, the kill on the front end and the back end is a wonderful asterisk mechanism for getting the job done and it's it's showcased perfectly yeah here. yeah and we've seen in other shows and and film i think you can take a lackluster plot but as long as you have good pacing mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like you're being drug along correct so then yeah. it, it, what could have been a negative turns into at least an average yeah. like you said yeah, yeah yeah totally agree an intelligent foe I love this, and it's missing in far too many things that are now on television, inside of streaming services, all of it. I am looking for the guy that would be me if I were bad, i.e., it's the guy that's going to find what is at least a plan that makes some sense 
mm-hmm. it's going to net you what you want, and then you go and do it some more. And the only reason that you might stop is because maybe you're going to get found out, but you'd probably just venture to another town with all of your ill-gotten gains. You'd manufacture another ID, and you would continue doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. That is exactly what we're presented with here, and and I love that. I, I love that Atticus never does something stupid. He does everything according to what is going to net him the end of his plan. I'm actually going to disagree with you there. All right. Because he does do something extremely stupid. He decides to just dump a body in the dumpster outside of his own apartment. Mm. That mm. is not smart body disposal. Now, Agreed. the thing is, is that mm-hmm. we're, we're, uh, we're actually going to jump into the next section for the bads, and we'll talk about this. But I think we didn't get enough time with Atticus to get the scope yeah. of his plan. So maybe it was more of a rush job. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's been more careful in the past. Who knows? But unfortunately, that was like a big glaring red flag of, wow, this guy doesn't, for as intelligent as he is, mm-hmm. this guy doesn't know what he's doing because you, you do not drop a body yeah. that close well, to the scene of the crime. Uh, agreed, but we'll get into even more of that because with the competency right. of law enforcement chokers true, inside true. this episode. We're, we're, tip, we're dipping our toes into the bads right now, and we're not even done with the goods. <laughs> as an intelligent foe, Atticus has a plan. Mm-hmm. He even kind of uh, jokes about it with Jack, you mm-hmm. know. Take a page from doctors. Have a specialty. Yeah. He specializes yeah. in Confederate Civil War antiques. Yeah. That shows uh, his intelligence. He's also done the research to where he can blend in mm-hmm. back there. and Well, ex- unless he gets caught snapping somebody's neck. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that... Atticus is a worthy foe for our heroes, and he's one of the, the 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 simple fact that his name is Atticus Rook, that just screams bad guy. Yeah, it's like yeah. he should have a union card from the <laughs> from the villains' union, Atticus Rook. Yeah, that's what we thought was great inside this episode. What did you think was good? Let us know what you think by going over to our website again. That's curiousgoodspodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and let us know what you thought was good inside this episode. Friday the 13th, the series comes with the goods and the bads. We've covered the goods. Let's take a look at the things that were not so good in this episode. Far too short. Now, we briefly touched on this in our previous, our last good. Mm -hmm. I feel this could have been a two-parter. Yeah. Had we spread this out a little bit more, and gotten to know Atticus's maybe overall plan, you know, what was the end game, if he even had an end game. Yeah. Or maybe even fleshed out the relationship between what Atticus and Jack had experienced previously. Yeah. Like maybe the centerpiece is that Edward the auctioneer is the common tether and they were on two opposing sides where Jack would be the it belongs in a museum guy <laughs> and Atticus is the guy that just wants to get it to auction. So we're now equating Jack Marshak, man of action, to Indiana Jones. Why not? I, if, hey, if I, I'm if fine. I, I am cool with you that. You better be. I am totally cool with that. You better be. I'm going to crunch your neck. I guess that would mean Ryan is Sala. <laughs> I guess. Enough Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. So this could have been, this definitely could have been uh, a two-parter. Had there been two episodes for this, we would have gotten, not only developed Atticus, 
But then let's throw in a little bit more, like you said, with Edward the Auctioneer and the secret past. Maybe Atticus worked with Lewis a hell of a lot more than just buying an antique item from him. Yeah. Atticus could have been somebody that helped distribute more cursed items. I mean, Atticus could have been built up as a big-time foe. Yeah. And I feel like we missed out. I I think we missed out not only from this episode, but in general. Because the overarching villain that becomes the arch villain, haha, mm. inside of a series like this is something I think that would go over really well. Yeah. I, I think of a bunch of different series that had their arch villains that probably eventually get killed, but not always. And when they're able to circle back around or insert themselves unknowingly or help to propel uh, a reasonably inane season of formulaic episodes, the one that's coming up to to the top of bubble of mind is something like an NCIS, where there is at least one overarching villain across a lot of the very first half of that series. And I'm sure it's been super endearing. Yeah, I'm sure it's been around for a while, but I really noticed the quote unquote big bad of a season really coming into play as a as a big time trope in the nineties. Yeah. It hasn't really gone away. It's just now most of the time, if it's not network television, now seasons are shorter. Yeah. And it makes a little bit more sense to have an overarching villain if you're only doing 10, maybe 13 episodes. Yeah. 22? It's taking you this long. It's taking you 22 episodes, essentially a year, mm-hmm. to finally get the bad guy. And then in the next season, oh, it takes the same amount of time to stop this new bad guy that's come along. I think Friday the 13th, if it was ever remade for modern audiences, throwing in an overarching villain... Maybe Uncle Lewis isn't dead, or maybe Uncle Lewis comes back a hell of a lot more than once or twice during the entire series run. Yeah, well, I think with the the imbuing his, Uncle Lewis's spirit inside of two or three items across the course of a four-part season-based resurgence re, reboot of this, mm, yeah. I think that that would be all terribly effective. And again, it would reinstill that that concept of what we're working with in regard to the cursed items, mm-hmm. but then also the characters. I, I know we keep talking about that, and I don't know if that's something that could ever even be considered. Yeah. But if not this, then another series that is focusing on cursed items, that absolutely could be done because how many people remember this program? Not Unfortunately, enough. Unfortunately, not nearly enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Stupid police. Wow. Hated this. I, I get the showcase and the need for there to be dummy cops. As a particular detective in this case, but wow, we uh, we kiddingly said that he's two weeks from retirement, and I, I'm trying to think if that would even have been a piece because at least he would have mentioned something bad to somebody as he's out leaving. But it, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible that he's so nonchalant about collecting information, yeah, and then just dumb about walking into the apartment and being murdered by Atticus. And yeah, he's and he's by himself. I mean, maybe he feels confident because there's officers downstairs, and eventually, yeah. if he doesn't come out, somebody will come looking for him. If it, if it was like, "Hi, my name is Jack." Oh, well, Jack, it's nice to meet you. And then later on, this guy also says, "Oh, hey, my name is Jack." Cool. Meeting two Atticuses within 24 hours of time and no 
Not, nothing. Not to mention the fact that Jack and Mickey looked harmless while Atticus looks like a bad guy. <laughs> Atticus looks like the guy that throws the maiden onto a, a couple of uh, railroad rails. Right, yeah, yeah, while he's twisting his mustache. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is that the cop is suspicious. That's why he asked for ID. I guess. But then, you know, oh, co- no, come on in. I'll show you my ID. And I strangle you with my bag. My man purse. <laughs> I use it to kill you. Uh, uh, I, I okay, hate it. I hate but it. I, I get that it's a This has it, happened it's a, a mechanism. lot, though, I know. in it, this show. It, it's a mechanism, and you got to have another kill to open the door. I got guys. I get it. I, I totally get it. I, I get it, but we can be more creative than just making stupid police. You can have a smart cop character- still end up in peril and or dead. Just don't make them idiots. Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing if, like, Atticus sets a booby trap and the booby trap actually then kills the cop as Mickey and Jack walk in the door and so the portal opens, but they killed him? That kind of thing. I realize that that's, it, it's not nearly fast enough to happen inside the 42, 43-minute window that we've got here. Yeah. But that's the kind of thing that I want this very intelligent foe to do. I want him to, you know, set up the stage so that when he needs to get back, because X happens, not because he walks over and chicken necks somebody. Right. Not because he panicked. Right. Oh, crap. The cops are right here. It might might be cool, like, if somebody's right on his ass and then he's got to just walk by somebody and slit their throat or do whatever. Okay. I get it then. Yeah. But if it it was more somehow like that, that's what I would have liked to have seen here. Not a thoughtful bow. When stories have this nice, tidy little bow on things, sure, yay, okay, story's over, and all the questions have been answered. I like that, but it also depends on what genre I'm watching. Right. Or if it's television or a movie. You know, if I'm watching a movie and it's it's a movie, I shouldn't be asking questions by the end of the movie, going like, but what happened to the... And, yeah, I, and I, agree I agree with that. I agree with that. But this... And it may come down to the fact that it's not a two-parter and there wasn't enough time. But there just didn't seem to be this nice little bow put on this episode. Yeah. Like we normally get. Yeah. I I can remember vividly when I first saw the episode of Quantum Leap that featured the JFK assassination. Oh, yeah. A two-parter. And it is phenomenal. It's it's one of the things I hold up on the top of the pyramid of awesome TV. And – uh, spoiler alert for those that haven't seen it, you, you should go and watch that whole series, frankly. Just do that real quick and then come back. Right, yeah. We'll wait. <laughs> okay, now that you're back. What took you so and long? Really? Gee whiz. Wow. Can't you get like a can't you get a cursed lantern or something? <laughs> okay. The, the the gist in the end of that episode is that Sam was not sent to prevent the killing of JFK. Sam was sent back to prevent the killing of Jackie. Yeah. And that is of the first gut punch, I never saw that, ever even thought of it. That thought never entered my mind. That's one of the very first ones I, like, I had my adult mind flipped on Yeah. when I first saw that episode because I'm like, wow. Well, it's I also- never thought of that. It's one of the first cases where this show that, you know, got to, has a character traveling through time, this is the first time where he's actually impacted history. So as a viewer, knowing that Jackie Kennedy lived- but in Sam's reality, in his timeline, Jackie died too. Right. This is the first time where this show was actually, I we are seeing 
he has changed something in time, yeah. but we've taken it for granted because, because it's always time. been our time. For, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and what I was looking for, and we, we talked about this too, and I want to make sure we share this before I forget it. What, what I really think might have been the, the bow, the thoughtful, the real thoughtful bow, yeah. would have been if they'd have gone, okay, so the map that Atticus gives to General Lee is a map of enemy emplacements that Atticus made based on real intel. Yeah. And so one of two things has happened then. When you come back, is it that we won the war because the map was given or not? Mm. And that's the that's the contemplative piece that I wanted at the end that would have been that question mark bow that would have been akin to something like what happened with Sam. I and think they, that would have been very interesting. And they they briefly touch on it. But it's literally during the last Gasp. 45 seconds yeah. of the episode yeah. before it you know, freezes and the credits roll. Yeah. And I, I think that maybe a longer debate or maybe even a shuffling through some books and seeing if something has changed. Or asking Jack, because you know, you've got Mickey and Ryan who have traveled through time. Jack didn't go anywhere. So he would have been, and, and again, we're getting into the quote unquote rules of time travel right jack wouldn't remember if something got changed because he would have it would have just changed for him and it would have been common knowledge period yeah yeah, yeah. mickey and ryan would know the real history yeah and wouldn't that be like something creepy to where at the end of the episode it's like what are you talking about that's what I was looking for. You know, that, the, the, that is exactly what I was looking that for. That would have was, been something a little darker. Maybe not the fact that, you know, the South won the war, because that might be a little bit too big. It's over the, yeah. But if it was some little something, some minuscule, non-important to history factoid that they would talk about and Jack go, what are you talking about? Then they would have realized, oh, crap, we changed things, freeze frame, cut to black. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's also where if flipping through the same book that, outlines from the middle uh, it's like it's the beginning of the civil war and they're flipping through the book and they find the pictures or they they now see the picture that's reverted where there is no ryan inside the book anymore mm. but then they flip to the end of the just towards the end of the book and <gasps> it's atticus and then the book closes uh, again that drifts into what if territory right yeah uh, th those are all the interesting thoughtful potential bows that could have been put on that make you think that I would have liked to have seen here that we didn't get. Well, those were our picks for things that needed a little bit of polish in this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. But we want to know what you thought might have been some bads in this episode. Head on over to our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com, fill out the contact form, and give us your picks for some not-so-goods. It's time to take a break here during the Curious Goods Podcast. We will be right back. To the future! Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact. 
thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 2, Episode 13, Eye of Death. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to showcase our manifest moments. Our manifest moment is where Nick and I find either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element inside this episode, or something else that trips our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? Well, my manifest moment for this episode is 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 dirt simple. It is the exclamation point on the episode. It is the fate of Atticus Rook. Hmm. Jack blows out the lantern after... Mickey and Ryan have jumped through and as he's blowing it out, you can see Atticus in the photograph running towards it. You know, he's going to cross the barrier and the light goes out and we hear this blood curdling scream and the camera comes in and there's the gun. There's the gun that Atticus was holding. And we, we pulled to the side and the hand Atticus's hand with the gun is trapped inside the wall. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. But wait, there's more. Yeah. We keep pulling back more, and then we reveal the impression of Atticus's face and his other hand trying to push through the wall. Yeah. And that is where we leave our villain. Yeah. I was absolutely blown away. Yeah. Out of all of the villain deaths that we've had in this show... This one might actually be my favorite. I know we're, we're we're barely halfway through season two, and we still have a whole nother season to get through. Mm-hmm. But damn it if that wasn't cool. Yeah. I love practical effects like that, mm-hmm. and I love the fact we're revisiting a show. That's, that's what you used, man. You used the practical in-camera effects, and that was spot on. That is my manifest moment. 
Yeah, there, there's no question that Stagecraft has such a presence inside of this show mm. that I'm, I'm so appreciative of what they were able to pull off inside of the show just based on general Stagecraft. Yeah, the uh, the the ability to use something like that that is static and then use the camera to tell the story. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. It, it is a it is a craft and it is a skill set that has to be polished. And it, I'm so glad it's showcased here. My manifest moment for this episode is probably the portal. Guys, it's stupid simple. It's a, it's a square opening that's lit inside of any environment, and it's then replicated by a door on the other side, which is nothing but a projector being pointed at a wall with a projector. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's this it, it's the simplicity part. We I just got done talking about stagecraft, and what never fails me if if this show couldn't be brought back as a show, wouldn't it be cool if this show was brought back as like a series of stage plays? You know, something that would be very, very special and very unique for a specific act series of actors that could tell stories like this that are based on cursed objects. The concept of cursed object just illuminates me. I love that concept. I don't and understand that, why it's not been attempted as a remake. Well, my, my dad got lured into a program called Warehouse 13. And I think that that was also like a salvage recovery thing for, mm. for antiques also. never I, watched I, it, but I'd I, to, I didn't I'll, either. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it then. <clears throat> Somewhere, sometime, there needs to be a revisit to this show or the just yank the concept and go run with it. There's, there's so much storytelling that's here. And the, the neat thing is that we look at this show and we go, oh, the antiques, you know, from the Civil War. Okay, well, antiques now could be from... So many different decades, and it makes absolute sense. Yeah. How many of us inside of your house have something that would be considered an antique that's 30 years old? But frankly, you know, it's kind of pop culture knickknack bullshit. Mm. That could easily be now uh, an artifact that well, is Well, hell, if you, want, if you want to uh, up um, that. Uh, hold on. I mean, imagine if the, if, the, if the cursed antique item is now a cursed comic book shop. And inside of the comic book shop, for those that haven't been inside of a comic book shop, well, guys, the sky's the limit for things inside of comic book shops now. Anything that falls inside the nostalgia cone of anything ever can be a piece inside of what we're talking about. And so if that's the magical loop that's got to be cast into remaking this program, I'm all for it. Hmm. Because there's all kinds of awesome inside of everything collectible, quote-unquote, that right. Nick and I have collected and stored in our basements for far too long, uh, that we've also seen... I don't know what seen, you're talking about. Yeah, that we've also seen inside of stores that we either can't afford or we haven't found the value in trying to skirt around our rents and or mortgage payments to try and go buy those things. But they're out there. There's more ways to spend money inside of the pop culture cone right now than I can even fathom. Well, right, right. You don't have to travel back to the Civil War to try to find something that's going to be overly expensive mm-hmm. and is also a piece of history. Right, right. Anyway, the uh, the, the, the simple portal opening uh, instantly makes for magic inside of this because, look, it's a dark night inside of Civil War 1862. What the hell is that? Right. And it works. It works wonderfully and perfect. That's where we ask you guys, what was your manifest moment from this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what struck you as your manifest moment. Vocabulary. Ah, the vocabulary. The words that power an episode of Friday the 13th, the series. 
The first word, thanks to our friends over at visualthesaurus.com, is... Auctioneer. An auctioneer is described as an agent who conducts an auction or a businessman who buys or sells for another in exchange for a commission. This is great. This is just a, you know, it's a word you would think you'd hear more often. Mm. And I don't think I hear it ever because I'm, I'm not an auction guy. Yeah. And the auctions that we now have online, i.e. eBay or insert whatever auction site you like to go to. Well, the word auctioneer is not really actually mentioned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'd... Because it's a some it's the person really that's, don't have one right. What's the seller, as opposed to the auctioneer? Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to make sure that we mentioned that because I think it's a great word and it's fun to spell too. Our second word again from our friends over at VisualThesaurus.com. Memorabilia. Memorabilia, a very interesting word meaning a record of things worth remembering or anything providing permanent evidence of or information about past events. Very interesting. And again, we have to mention, and haven't really actually inside of our review at all, except a couple of exclamations, that somehow this episode was able to accidentally drift away from all things Back to the Future. Yeah. I thought for sure we would have something, and I think maybe the only direct nod would have been that there is a young lady that finds Ryan after he's been knocked out but luckily her husband just died so she's not looking for love <laughs> ryan is looking for love however ryan is always looking, looking for, for love. love actually that's another thing i appreciated you know <laughs> he didn't fall in love yes. with atticus's date slash girlfriend slash victim <laughs> and he didn't have a crush or anything on on the widow the widow abigail <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't profess his dying love to her as she's dying. In his it's, it's not like it's not like no. You know what? I'll stay here in 1862, and yeah. I'll help you get over your husband. I'm sure I can find a yeah. There's a, a job I, I that kid. I can find here, man. I, I kid, but <laughs> the character of Ryan Dalian falls in love at the drop of a hat. He's a loving man. He He's is. A loving He's got man, a lot Nick. of love to give. A lot of love to give. And there's a lot of ladies out there in any time period. Uh, great vocabulary for this episode. And that's what we ask you guys. What was your favorite vocabulary picks for this episode? Let us know what you think by going, again, over to our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what vocabulary words you would have picked if you were in charge of your podcast that reviews this show. Episode rating. The rating inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series, season two, episode 13. Eye of Death. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. An effectively severed, battle-ridden arm that doesn't get infected. A 1 is on the other side of the scale. A broken chicken neck, courtesy of the man in the dark hat and cloak, Atticus Rook. Everything starts at a seven as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? This episode was fun. I don't recall this one from uh, from my past. No, I don't either. Like at all. Nothing. So this, uh, again, it was new to me. Uh, I was very impressed with the storytelling, the pacing. Mm -hmm. The majority of the acting was handled extremely well. Yeah. Usually I talk about how 
this show tends to recycle actors. I didn't bring it up during any of the goods or the bads. I am going to touch upon it here. We had Bernard Burns. I do believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Fine actor. This is his third appearance mm-hmm. in Friday the 13th, the series. You may remember him from such season one episodes as The Quilt of Hathor, The Awakening, where he played Inquisitor Holmes. Mm. Nope. Well, remember, he got, got he, got, nope. he got killed really quick. Uh, oh. And then, and then actually, uh, only two episodes later, The Pirate's Promise, mm-hmm. uh, he ended up playing, he was, he was Barney, he was the drunk. Barney the drunk, oh yeah. 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 How could I possibly forget him? Wow. Well, I'm glad I remember this stuff. <laughs> and then in this episode, he plays General Lee. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we've got three great performances, three characters completely different, mm-hmm. and he pulled them off well. I'm I'm sorry to actually see that he doesn't appear in any more episodes, but you know, three I think is the limit <laughs> for, for before people go like, well, wait a minute, I re- you look familiar. They don't. There's only one guy on planet Earth that cares, Nick. And, and that's I'm glad me. That, I'm glad that you care. And I care. You that's, do. I do care. You are it's, a caring I care host. too much. Thank you. I'm a very caring host. I appreciate your caring. Uh, there were things in this episode that definitely check all the right boxes mm-hmm. for enjoyment, mm-hmm. but then there were a handful of goofy things mm-hmm. that uh, I, unfortunately means I can't give this as stellar of a rating as it could have gotten. Mm-hmm. So my rating for this episode is an eight. One of the values of an episode like this that features, quote, time travel, is that it instantly takes on a mystique. I think the expectations go up instantly when you know that there's time travel involved. Mm. So you look specifically for things to not work or... I kind of think of when we had to try and devise the three bads for our list inside this episode. And frankly, I think you and I had trouble coming up with three. Eh. I, I think we had to push and squeeze. and, and Not it, as hard as some episodes in the past. No, eh, nah, maybe. The, the, the gist here, though, is that not only did this episode check all the right boxes, I think that had it been stretched into a two-parter, I think we'd have had two extraordinarily good episodes. So while I can't give this one the top score, I'm definitely going to chuck it down a notch and give it a nine. That's where I ask you guys, what did you think of this episode of Friday the 13th, the series? Season 2, episode 13. I of death. Let us know what you think by going over to our website, that's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you thought of this episode. Uh, another episode of the Curious Goods podcast in the book, Nick, now that we're done. Yes. And done early, actually. I, I've got some extra time, and I've got a surprise for you. Uh, it's nothing like the surprises you've had for nah, me in the past, No, no, right? not at all. Not at all. Sit back and take your shoes off. Y'all uh, come back now. Oh, oh, okay. All right. As you can see up on the screen here. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. This is my slideshow of my family visit to northern Wisconsin. Well, wow, because I thought you were going to, like, you know, snap my neck and travel no, through time no, or something. No, 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 no. I'm just going to show you some of the more mundane photos from my family vacation in northern Wisconsin. Why don't you kick back? And it's not just off. Wisconsin. It's northern Wisconsin. Northern Wisconsin. The tundra, my friend. So, so like, right there by Canada. Eh? Sure, why not? Is it, well, it's north. Yes, that's true. I failed because geography. All, all northern states look exactly like Canada. 
That's I didn't very say good. it looks very like good. Canada. I says it's close to Canada. Anyway, settle back in. Let's take a look. Oh, get this. This is when we're pulling into the front of the uh, front end of the state of Wisconsin. That sign there. That sign is actually the sign that every person ever sees when you drive in across Highway 94 into Wisconsin. Everybody sees this sign and they go, "Oh, hey, looky, it's a sign when you pull into Wisconsin." How many of and these it, do you have, Mike? Uh, there's, I don't know, three or four hundred. Anyway, uh, as you pull further on past, maybe another six or seven miles. I changed my mind. There's this. Could you just break my neck? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. All right, ready? <sighs> like lunch meat. <laughs> what? I'm like lunch meat. I'm always ready. Really? Lunch I don't know that I've ever heard ready. that before, really. Oh, you've never heard that one never before? Never heard that before, no. I've never heard that before. You have my permission to use it. I've copyrighted it. Trademarked. <laughs> ah, baloney. Ah. All right. Pickle loaf. Pickle loaf, you. Yeah, I know. Pimento loaf before ah. pickle loaf. Sorry, buddy. All right, hot mic. Hot mic. I'm relatively comfortable, Nick. <laughs> but I'm so hot. Do you want me to do it in a his voice or? Oh, cursed lantern. Yeah, again, I'm sorry. I've stepped. Up yes, I know. Shut up. Oh, Why cur- did you say that name? <laughs> you done. I am are, done, you, are, are you finished? Yes. Can we get on with it? <laughs> we can.